The master in today's parable commends his steward for acting prudently. Prudence is one of the four cardinal virtues, together with justice, fortitude, and temperance. Now, when is the last time you can recall hearing someone praised for his prudence? If you're like me, you may have difficulty recalling any such instances. In fact, you may even have difficulty recalling the last time you heard the word prudence. For me, there is only one distinct memory, and it dates back almost 30 years. Some of those here today who are my age or older may also share this memory. It wasn't spoken in church or in school, but on television. And it didn't take the form of a moral exhortation, but of a catchphrase and a punchline. Not gonna do it, wouldn't be prudent. This was the comedian Dana Carvey doing his impression of President George Bush Sr. on the television show Saturday Night Live, circa 1991. The fact that when I tried, I couldn't even summon any other early memory of the word prudence perhaps reveals two weaknesses in my formation as a Christian and as a human being. First, the strongest associations of many words in my memory come from pop culture. Now, this isn't necessarily a problem if popular culture, which is just simply the culture of the people, is formed by noble ideals like the cardinal virtues. But if it's not, then as we grow into intellectual and moral maturity, or in my case, as we enter monastic life, we may find ourselves struggling against these memories that were imprinted upon us at a very early age. This is a struggle we share with St. John Cashin, one of the early monastic fathers and a source of St. Benedict's rule. In his conferences, one of the young monks complains to one of the saintly Egyptian elders that every time he tries to pray, his mind veers off into recollections of pagan epic poetry, which he learned as a schoolboy. Now, for me, and perhaps this is the case for some of you, I'd be thrilled if I could remember Virgil and Homer during Lexio Divina, but instead I remember television shows. Um, so this actually leads to a more significant weakness. The conception of prudence in this catchphrase is entirely negative. Why did the writers of Saturday Night Live choose it wouldn't be prudent as President Bush's catchphrase? I think one of the reasons must have been that by the 1980s this word seemed amusingly outdated. It signified not a virtue but a kind of prejudice, uh, a kind of uh, unreflective disposition of, of conservatism or skepticism towards anything new. This is reflected in the dictionary definitions that uh, I found as I was preparing this homily. The Oxford Dictionary of American English defines prudent as careful to avoid undesired consequences. So it's about avoidance. It's not about action. It's certainly not about excellence. 
but virtues are about excellence. So where would we go to find a more compelling model of prudence? Well, I would suggest that there are many sources within the Catholic tradition. Certainly the great doctors and fathers of the Church talk extensively about the virtues. We've even brought on board uh, the great pagan authors of antiquity, Plato and Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, which we studied in our formation here, has a discussion of prudence. The Catechism of the Catholic Church defines prudence as that virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. Now, that is very densely packed, and I won't try to unpack it for us this morning. Instead, I would invite you to reflect with me on the model of prudence who is set before us in today's parable. And he's a rather unlikely model because he's a liar. He's a cheat. He doesn't seem like a very virtuous person at all. But in fact, in a time of crisis, he listens carefully, he deliberates on the possible courses of action, and then he acts based on a fundamental trust in the mercy of his master. That, I would suggest to you, is a model for us. So, a bit about this parable. The setting is a prosperous farm in first-century Palestine. The action focuses on rents that are to be paid by tenants in the form of agricultural produce, so wheat and oil. The master is the owner and the landlord and the steward is the manager of his estates. Now, at the outset of the parable, the master discovers that the steward has squandered his property, and he summons him. The steward listens very carefully. What is this I hear about you? demands the master. Now, at this point, the steward knows that he's caught red-handed. Depending on the gravity of his crimes, he could face dire consequences. He knows that he could face these consequences, but what he doesn't know is what the master knows, and he's not going to risk divulging any details. So instead of answering, making excuses for himself, he remains silent. He shows prudence in his discretion. He doesn't speak. So after waiting a few moments, the master decides that he already knows enough to fire the steward on the spot. Now our translation says, prepare a full account of your stewardship. I'm convinced, after having read a bit about this, that what this actually means is, turn in the books. You're fired. So he's firing the, the steward, and he's sending him away. The steward does not protest. Instead, he begins to walk away. He's going to get the books to turn them in. But he deliberates on the way. And in order to understand his subsequent actions, we must consider how he's also deliberating over what he hasn't heard. Not only what he has heard, but what he hasn't. What he hasn't heard 
is far more significant because his master could have thrown him in jail. He could have sold him into uh, indentured servitude until he paid the entire debt. He could have given him a strong rebuke. All of these things happened to the debtors in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, but none of them happens here. The steward knows that his master is merciful. And so all of his action for the rest of the parable, as he goes trying to win uh, friends among the master's renters by lowering their debts, all of that is done in light of the master's mercy. And in the end, the master shows himself indeed to be a remarkably merciful man because this is presented to him as a fait accompli. He doesn't go around and tell the renters, he had no right to make these deals on my behalf. I fired him. Instead, he silently goes along with it and he commends the steward for his prudence. So, he listens, he deliberates, and he acts in light of the master's mercy. And I would suggest to us that this is a model for all of our actions. Uh, it's a much better model than not going to do it wouldn't be prudent.